this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, please contact Nexus Church. I'm excited that we're going through the book of Acts. Um, <clears throat> Pastor Nathan was very generous to me. He uh, gave me the story of Stephen, um, which is, uh, you know, what do we think of Stephen? We go, one, he's a martyr. Okay, that's going to be a fun sermon. And two, well, he was the first on the list of the bread distributors. So, you know, this is going to be a great sermon, isn't it? Oh, it's so quiet in here. All right, so we're happy to hear a sermon about martyrdom, are we? Yeah, okay, awesome, cool. No, it's not going to be that. But this is amazing, you know. There's 70 verses that we're not going to read, all of them, thankfully. But there's 70 verses here that are amazing, capturing a depiction of something that we talked about last week. Um, And we're going to get into that. But I'm going to get to the Word because I'm excited about this Word and I'm excited about what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. You know, I want you to keep that picture of a sail lifting as we go through this sermon. I believe that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. You know, Stephen, when we think of him, The first thing we think of, and we heard it last week, was he's one of the list of those, one of the first on the list of those bread distributors. You know, I'm fascinated by this person, Stephen. You know, one minute in chapter 6, he is anointed and he's prayed for and he's one who's there to to organize the distribution of uh, and the care of widows and those who are disadvantaged in the community. And the next minute, we're about to read that he is actually competing and winning Coherent truths and arguments against religious elite, empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's something that's happened in his life, and that's what we're going to start to look at. So we're going to jump into Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Like I said, we're not going to read it all. There is 70 verses, but there's plenty to dig into here. So chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. We heard previously, he's, it was described that he's full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He's full of wisdom in the Holy Spirit. Here's another full, full of God's grace and power, performing great signs and wonders among the people. Then opposition arose, in verse 10 it says, but they could not stand against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin, the same Sanhedrin that Jesus presented to before his death. They brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? The next 47 odd verses, Stephen begins to respond. But his response sort of touches on their accusations, but it sort of doesn't. He essentially says, going through the history of Israel, if I can summarize it for us, he goes through the history of Israel and he says, well, you talk about the temple. But actually, Abraham didn't have a temple and he was outside the Holy Land and he had access to and met God. You talk about the temple and actually, Joseph was in Egypt. He didn't have a temple. He was outside the Holy Land. He, did, he had access and met with God in the favor of God. He says, you talk about Moses, and he met with God in Egypt, and then in the desert, he wasn't at the temple. He didn't have a temple, and he had access to meet with God. 
And even when there was a temple, he says in Isaiah, he quotes Isaiah 6, he says, and he says of God speaking and saying, no house that human hands have made can be contain me. He's basically saying to them, well, you talk of the temple, but the temple is just a foretaste of the ultimate temple, which is Jesus. And God is never limited to a box, is what he says. He then knows that in the minds of these religious leaders, turning over is then, well, what about the law? When we don't obey the law, we need the sacrificial system, and that happens at the temple. And he basically says, the law is good, the law is great, but have you noticed throughout history, we've never been able to obey it, and the sacrificial system is never able to fully fulfill it. What he says is, we need a righteous one. We need one who can fulfill the law. Now, you think of a red like a, a red stop line. Uh, I didn't say that right. The lights, where there's a red light. That's what I'm trying to say. There we go. Uh, red stop light. There we go. You think of that. How do you fulfill the law of that? You either have to stop and you fulfill the law, which is recommended, or you go through it and you pay the penalty, the price. Then the law is fulfilled. The law then has no more hold over you. What he's saying is that you don't need the temple to access God and meet with God. He's available everywhere. The law is good, but we've never obeyed it. We need a righteous one, and that righteous one is Jesus, who has both fulfilled the law by f- being perfect as he walked the earth, but also he took on our penalties and he's paid the price. So that is done and dusted. We have a righteous one. That is basically him giving the gospel to the religious leaders. And then we come back in, in verse 51. And this is where, like, it gets ramped up. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. In other words, your hearts are hard and your ears are deaf. You're just like your ancestors. Don't we love that? When people say, you're just like your mum and dad. Yeah, that quality you don't want, you're just like them. And we go, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Have you ever done that? Ever? Okay, just me. Fine. All right. Cool. Moving on. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Wow. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Like, you've got to think, this is fresh. This is the same group that actually put Jesus on the cross, saw him there a few months ago. You even murdered him. You've received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. And then verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth. Don't we love that phrase, gnashed their teeth? It's like, this is the worst of the worst is what that meant. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, get this, full of the Holy Spirit looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, and get the picture in your mind's eye, at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. Have you ever seen a kid throw a tantrum? Ah! Running around. I don't have kids, so I'm just imagining, actually. My, my house is very peaceful, but I can imagine. I can imagine, like, it literally says they covered their ears and they yelled at the top of their voices. They didn't want to hear anything, didn't want a bar of it. And they dra- rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. 
Meanwhile, the witnesses lay their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we know later as Paul. Why, while they are stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said that, he fell asleep. He died. And Saul approved of the killing, their killing of him. Whoo! What a depiction of Stephen's last day. Like, can you picture this? They had to take the robes off because this was going to be work to kill this man. It's not like just one stone. And in that moment, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, living in a way that is, just doesn't make sense to the onlooker there. It just doesn't make sense. You know, I want to suggest that Stephen's nothing special, and I'm not trying to be irreligious. Stephen's nothing special. There's only one delineating factor in this story, the one character that actually is moving this story forward, and it's not Stephen. It's not the religious leaders. It actually is the person and work of the Holy Spirit at play here. That is the only delineating factor. Stephen is nothing special, but he has allowed the Holy Spirit and the message of Jesus to permeate his life so much that he's actually, I would say, living the most free he's ever lived. You know, it's counterintuitive. You look on the surface and he is actually cornered. He's being accused. He knows his life is being threatened. And yet he is living probably the most free he's ever lived in a way that he's loving, in a way that he's never loved before, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of an attack. How can that be but for the Holy Spirit? We see throughout the, the scripture we read that it says he was full of the Holy Spirit in faith. He was full of the Holy Spirit in wisdom. He was full of grace and power. He performed signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he spoke, and I said this before, he spoke with wisdom that the spiritual elite could not contend with because it was wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Like, you've got to just think about that. This is the bread distributor. And I'm not trying to play that down. It's not about what he's doing. But one minute, he's the bread distributor. The next minute, he's competing with these guys who've studied religious, theological, theologically for all their lives. And they cannot, they concede, they cannot compete with the truth he is speaking and the coherency of that truth. Just imagine, like, just think of that. And yet, there's nothing special about Stephen. It's the work of the Holy Spirit moving his churches and our stories forward. So the message today is not be like Stephen. The message, but is be like Stephen in the way that he allowed the Holy Spirit to permeate our whole lives his whole life, to a place where he was living the most free. You know, when I say he's living the most free, you look at this contrast. For one, the religious leaders, they were living in hatred and despising, the other love and no ill will. For one, driven by jealousy, and the other, by grace. For one, fearful, and the other, at peace and bold in the midst of the challenge. For one, protecting their own self-interest, the other, desiring the best for those who were hurting him. For one, desiring death of someone. The other, desiring life for someone else, for the other. For one, living out of reaction and compulsion to the feelings that are driving them down. And the other, living 
by choice in the midst of their suffering and their challenge. That to me is an amazing picture of freedom, not dictated to or controlled by circumstances, by something greater, the work of the Holy Spirit. It's this picture of the overflow that Pastor Nathan was speaking of last week. It's this picture of someone who's full. Like Nathan mentioned last week, it's like we can walk around and if it's full, our cup is full of the Holy Spirit and we bump, it suddenly overflows. It's not forced. It's not something that we have to conjure up when we're full and we're receiving the Holy Spirit. And this is the thing I was thinking about this week. I'm intrigued that Whenever the gospel is preached throughout the gospels and in the, book, in the Acts of the Apostles, and whenever the Holy Spirit is at work in the in book of Acts, there's only ever two responses. There's only ever two responses. There's accepting and receiving, or there's absolute offense and resisting. We don't see them, you know, after they've heard the message from Peter in Acts 2 or, or what Stephen said, we don't, or what Jesus, when he was sharing, we don't see them go, and they all went away and had a good think about it. We don't see them go, and that person thought it was a really informative morning. We just don't see that. It's accept or offense and challenge. It's, if I put it this way, receive or resist. And that's challenging to me because I can look at the religious leaders and go, mm, they should, how did they not know better? Like, seriously, I would never do that. But then I ask myself the question and I go, well, who am I in this story? And I, can I suggest for all of us, at least for me, but I'll, I'll chuck us all in there and you can take it or leave it. There's a little bit of Stephen, but there's also a little bit of the religious leader. There's a little bit of receiving, but... There's a little bit of resisting that I find within myself. And, and I was thinking about, what, why was this so offensive? Why do I at times feel like, hey, God, don't touch that area. I, I don't want to deal with uh, That's my thing. Uh, we value our autonomy. And I go, oh, that, don't go there. I want you there. Don't touch that. I'm not ready for that right now. But why was it so offensive? Why was it so challenging to these religious leaders? And, and I, I think... When I look at it, one of the things that we see is that the gospel confronts the things we hold most sacred. They held the temple and the law most sacred, that they missed the point. If I could put it this way, the gospel challenges, the Holy Spirit's work in our life that, that wants to lead us to that place of freedom, that wants to and is there to empower us to, uh, to live in all that Christ has done and accomplished for us. That work of the Holy Spirit confronts things that are sacred to me, that maybe have elevated themselves to equal with God or greater to God than God in my life. We could call them sacred cows. I think we all know what those things, what that means, our sacred cows. It's those things that, you know, are perfectly fine and good in, in their right place, but elevate them to a place of my Savior or elevate them to the place of the thing that I find my most meaning in, in life. And they skew things. And I don't live as free as I could in what Christ has done. It's those things that are deliberately chosen in my life, I've chosen, that are sin in my life. It's those things that we box God into and go, hey, actually, 
we elevate the ritual over the man or the, the ritual over the relationship, the mean over the relationship. You know, even this year, church has changed. Are you still leaning in or is it some of those sacred cows that maybe that we have in how we worship God, how we encounter God? At home, you know, we can't connect like we do. The Holy Spirit's the same. The Holy Spirit's at work. I know that's a little bit of challenging and it's like, but the religious leaders, they box God to the temple. Have we got some sacred things? We go, God, that's how I meet you. That's where I meet you. And actually, he's got so much more. Let the breath of the wind of the Spirit blow into your sails. Adjust, adjust, adjust slightly. Let him lift you up from where you are. Aren't we glad we came to church this morning? This is awesome. You know, the honest truth is that I have times when absolutely I go, come on, God, don't go there. I like meeting you there, but not there. And I, I honestly think, and it sounds funny putting it this way, I honestly think we all need a good Stephen speech from the Holy Spirit at times. Yep, I went there. <laughs> You're stiff-necked. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. Come on. You know, Stephen's heart was that they would respond and change. You know, the message of Jesus was, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. This is not about a message of be better, work harder. It's about we only can because of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ. So lift your sails and let the Holy Spirit lead you. Don't resist, receive. And I'm challenging myself. <laughs> oh. You know, like marriage. You think you got it all sorted. At least sometimes I do. And then the Holy Spirit, I mean Liz, just reminds me, let's work on this, this bit. We've got to just adjust this bit. You know, it's, it's a dynamic relationship. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. It's dynamic. It's not static. Okay, you do this, I do this, it's fixed, we're good. It's dynamic, things move. And that makes it a little scary, but that makes it an adventure, that makes it exciting. And that's actually where growth happens. And that's where we go, oh, I, I'm finding a greater level of freedom in my life, not because of my circumstances, but because I'm being filled and led by the Holy Spirit in my life. Huh. And the thing we need to get alongside what I've just shared is this. I find it fascinating that Stephen was observed when it says they, they looked intently at Stephen. I find it fascinating that it says that his face appeared like that of an angel. What does that tell us about the way he was communicating? What does that tell us? You know, um, get my names right. Luke, who's writing the book of Acts. Luke wrote the book of Luke, obviously, as well. So this is to go together. And at the beginning of the book of Luke, he tells his readers that he is writing what he has investigated and based on eyewitnesses. That is what he's writing. And, and I, I think about this point, and this is just my thought coming, you know, just extrapolating a little bit here. But I think about the fact that Luke became a companion of Paul. And I wonder... If maybe the eyewitness that he gets this, Steve, this day of Stephen from is actually from Paul, who was called Saul in this story. And I wonder if, and I can almost imagine that as Paul's reflecting, he, he's sitting there with Luke about this day. And he's going, 
man Luke, and this is my words, obviously you wouldn't say man Luke, but yeah, that's my words. Man Luke, the words Stephen spoke, man, they cut me to the core. But man, he had the face of an angel. There was something engaging about it. Man, he even when we were stoning him, he was praying for us when we were doing that to him. Oh, that's imprinted in my mind and my heart, Luke. I can just imagine Paul thinking that, saying that as they're reflecting on this day. Have you ever had someone who you know absolutely loves you, wants the best for you, and they call you out, but they really call you up? And you don't even realize in the conversation you've been whacked in the face a bit, but actually afterwards you reflect and you go, man, Oh, that was hard, but oh, there's, a, there's an engage, there's a love that just goes, yeah, I want to rise to that. And can I suggest that's the work of the Holy Spirit? It's not easy to hear these things when I say, oh, we all need a good Stephen speech. But what we mean by that is the Holy Spirit is beautiful. He is gentle. He is loving. And he's a bit challenging at times because he's calling us to lift those sails and he's calling us to rise and he's calling us to be that community that is a light on a hill for those around us that are drawn in. We're just like Stephen. Let the Holy Spirit permeate your life like never before. Are there areas in your life where you are resisting the Holy Spirit? And a part of the adjusting the sail is to just release that hold a little bit and let the wind take hold and guide you and lead you. The team can join me. You know, I find it fascinating that at the end, it says that Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You know, throughout Scripture, we see that actually Jesus is more depicted as sitting at the right hand of God because that signifies he's accomplished the work, and he has. But when we understand that so often through history, in kingdoms and dynasties that have passed, that the throne room is also the courtroom. They're one and the same. Not like us now, but the throne room is the courtroom. What does someone standing represent in a courtroom? It represents that they're standing to address the court. And in that moment... The Holy Spirit pulls back the veil between earth and heaven and lets Stephen see that while he is confessing Jesus on earth, Jesus is commending him to the Father God in heaven, in the courtroom that really matters, in the greater reality than just what's happening on earth. And the Holy Spirit, for some this morning, it is about leaning in and letting Him take a hold to show you that there's a greater reality than the physical you see, that there is a greater courtroom than the courtroom on earth. There's a greater courtroom commending you than the lunchroom, than the place at home, than the family. There is a greater courtroom where Jesus is commending you. The Holy Spirit at work in our lives helps us sense and realize and see that greater reality and step in.